Ontology, the Waystation of Red Pill Sanity Written by William Leo Translated by Deep L and a Human Read for you by Eric, Jenny, Mia, and many other bots Season 2 Lords and Wanderers Episode 2 A World Lacking in Lords, Why We Need More Lords the dearth of new landed gentry for a consecutive two and three decades is indisputable evidence that social reconstruction has failed. If we look at society through a historical lens, we will realize what cross the river by feeling the stones actually means. It means, we all want to get away from the present state, that is the cultural revolution, but there is no consensus on the goal. If we had argued about where to go when we first started moving, we would have started fighting right on the spot. So the question of the goal and our direction could not be brought up. Instead, let's take a few steps first, as everyone wanted to leave anyway, and the first few steps could still be uncontested in the hope that as time elapsed the problem would resolve itself. Unfortunately, there is no such easy way out. Goals are the most essential prerequisite for success. The absurdity of doing something and not even daring to say what the goal is very rare throughout human history. Of course, if one insists on looking for precedents, one will not fail to find them. Such was the case with the issue of slavery during the American independence, it was a matter that could not be mentioned, only delayed. It could only be done, but not talked about. The gap kept widening as time dragged on, and consensus got ever harder to reach. In the end, a bloody war was unavoidable. A few years ago, Qin Hui wrote a book called The Common Bottom Line, and a group of intelligentsia recently held a consensus conference in Oxford. They have realized what the real problem is with the common goal. But they are simply so conceited to believe that a few intellectuals could solve such a problem. I ridiculed them at the time, the bottom line is for breaching, and the common bottom line is what we all breach from all sides. Chinese intellectuals lack the virtue of prudence and tend to overestimate the power of public opinion. Besides, among the forces of public opinion, they tend to overestimate their own influence. To put it bluntly, the wanderer should not fancy himself to be a Boaz. Boaz can represent his community, the wanderer is merely a bubble floating on the surface of the water. In Chinese history, the two forces have been locked in antagonism. One waxes, the other wanes. The wanderer makes his living by peddling his magic tricks, and the only buyers are, of course, the rulers, whose interest in strategies is generally to suck more resources from society, with the landed gentry being their main obstacle. Ever since the spring and autumn period, the main business of the wanderers has been to remove the landed gentry. Whenever they succeeded in fighting the landed gentry, society disintegrated into a plate of dispersed sand, and demanding money from it became easier. Lu Sun made a very profound remark. He pointed out, what does it mean to be a plate of dispersed sand? It is the achievement of government rule. The indicator of successful governance is the disintegration of society. What were the main achievements of the reform introduced by Shangyang during the Warring States period? Human translators note, Shangyang, a statesman, chancellor and reformer serving the state of Qin, where his policies laid the administrative, political and economic foundations that strengthened the Qin state and would eventually enable Qin to conquer the other six rival states, unifying China into a centralized rule for the first time in history under the Qin dynasty. 
Through the abolition of the well-field system and the cultivation of unsettled lands and wastelands, he abandoned clan-based land ownership, privatized land, encouraged migration, as well as assigned land to soldiers based upon their military successes and stripping the nobility unwilling to fight for their land rights. If we analyze the spirit of the law through the lens of Montesquieu, we would realize that behind these reform measures is atomized individualism. The social cells of the Western Zhou were the clan communities. No matter how the higher political struggles fell out, the cells remained unaffected. When the Zhou dynasty defeated the Shang dynasty, King Wu or the Duke of Zhou gave orders that the So-and-So clan should be given to Wei, So-and-So clan to Qi, and So-and-So clan to Song. The ownership of the clan as a whole unit shifted, but the internal structure of the clan remained the same. The community participated in war and politics, engaged in agriculture and crafts, all collectively. There were generally no rewards for individual merit, and treasures such as bronze vessels rewarded by the king were in general given to a clan, or even to a vassal state. The cultivation of well fields, crisscross footpaths between these fields, and the existence of the hundred crafts were all traces of these collective endeavors in history. Collective action is a menacing capacity. The Western Zhou and Spring and Autumn periods left many records of riots of state people, officials and craftsmen, almost like excerpts from the history of Western Europe. Shang Yang's goal was to dismantle these communities that had the capacity to act collectively, by redistributing land and property to a nuclear family of a man and a woman with a few children, and assigning titles to individuals according to their military achievements. It is not possible to determine whether or not this plan was implemented faithfully and how much of it was actually implemented. But the basic spirit is clear, to cultivate a fragmented sand society. The following dynasties duplicated the Qin institution resulted in the stunted development of the landed gentry. Since the landed gentry couldn't grow, there couldn't have been the situation in England ere the gentry and merchants overthrew the king. In the end, the sky fell apart and British warships sailed into the shores of the Qing dynasty. In the early years of the Chinese Republic, the landed gentry were given their one and only chance, but it was too brief to bear fruit. The failure of the landed gentry such as Zhang Jiji and Liu Wenzai was the failure of the republic. It really did not matter much whether the wanderers such as Liang Qichao and Luo Longji succeeded or failed. Only in Taiwan, where they had a space of more than half a century, did a figure like Ko Manchi finally emerge. When Boaz rises, the wanderer is marginalized. Some people would smugly cite reports and studies to argue that the Chinese market economy is well developed. They quote figures and certain Western scholars to prove that there couldn't be mistakes in this belief. Civil society, they allow, if not yet developed, is at least growing. As far as I can see with my own eyes, the opposite is the reality. The so-called first 30 years spans from the establishment of the Chinese Communist Party rule in 1949 to the end of the Cultural Revolution in 1978. The reform from 1978 to 2008 marks the 30th year of the beginning of China's economic opening. This second 30 years of market economy is an advancement of Shangyang's atomized individualism in spirit and unfolding of the first 30 years in social terms. Tocqueville, if he had risen from the dead, would surely have said, you guys are not shaping any collectivism at all, but atomized individualism without community. Speaking of collectivism, it is the self-governing communities of American Protestants that are collectivist. 
The underlying spirit of the first 30 years was social integration, breaking up all the previous social organizations, and integrating all members into a monolithic social organization as individuals, with everything arranged in a uniform way, including marriage. This was not a matter of planned economy, for the economy was a secondary consideration, society was the priority. This was Shang Yang's social ideal, which tied everyone down with a household registration system and did not allow any intermediate groups to exist. The basic spirit of the second 30 years was the dissolution of society, the removal of organizations outside the military civil servant civil education system without allowing alternative social organizations to fill the vacuum. This is a further aggravation of atomization and dispersion. The so-called market economy of the United States is full of self-organizations that are intrinsic to their society and culture. As we all know, Protestant countries have always been known for their strong capacity for social autonomy. Without this background, it makes no sense to talk about the free market, Libra Marque. One very bizarre feature of China's so-called marketization is that it is a process of disorganization or anti-organization that requires constant weeding by visible hands, like a gardener eradicating weeds. The key to why businessmen like Wu Ying have fallen off grace is still the underlying spirit of disorganization. To be honest, China cannot allow potential Boaz to arise, anything uncontrollable is a threat. Man is a social animal after all. From an objective point of view, a man is powerful, not in that he is powerful in and by himself, but because his social ties are strong. Strip him of his social bonds and he is inevitably weaker. Subjectively, man does not live entirely on bread, signs and symbols play a greater role than we would normally imagine. The result of an atomized society is that everyone is full of insecurities. When you are isolated, you are of course vulnerable. When everyone is isolated, society becomes very brutal. People need to understand, the qualities of humanity, civility, and justice are not the product of moral education, but the habits cultivated by the community. Why are you nice to someone? Because he is one of your own. Why are you bad to someone? Because he is a stranger. What if everyone is a stranger to everyone? Then there would inevitably be a situation in which everyone would be a persecutor of everyone else, what Hobbes called a war of all against all. What is this so-called public servant frenzy? It is a manifestation of hunger for belonging and identity anxiety, which of course, does not serve the purpose. A bureaucratic organization is not like a clan society, in which you don't have an inherent status. As long as the problem of the lack of community is not solved, you remain atomized and dispersed. One thing that has been consistent from the Middle Ages to the present, when comparing the West with China, is that the West has always had much richer organizational resources than China. Chinese society is flattened and scattered, an iteration of countless single cells, and complex structures cannot be created, just as a pagoda cannot be built on top of quicksand. Nowadays, many people go to Taiwan and come back boasting that Taiwanese people are gentle and refined, unlike our society which is rough and barbaric. I don't find these unsubstantiated statements very useful, what really makes the difference is that Taiwan has genuine and stable communities. Brutality is the result of an unconscious expectation, by the time we next meet, our identity roles and the rules of the game in our society will have altered beyond recognition. Civilization is also based on an unconscious expectation, we will meet again next time and both parties will remember how we were treated last time. Unconscious expectations are rather efficacious and can easily become a self-fulfilling reality. Speaking of alteration beyond recognition, 
all of my childhood friends have completely changed. My old classmate back in primary school who got straight A's and went to grad school early, ended up running a restaurant instead. The few female teachers who doted on me the most were laid off during the disintegration of the 1990s, and the school ceased to exist. Government-run structures that used to seem indestructible at the time all turned out to be patched with paper. Most importantly, there has been no one to fill the space left behind. Although I have remained in the government-run system, I have always sensed that the vacuum around me is getting ever broader as if I were living on an island, and the waters are rising, flooding more and more places, and no one knows when the island will be completely submerged. If the lessons of history still apply in the future, there will still be no stable rules of the game in China in the future. The ultimate scarce resource in this society is not power, wealth, or knowledge, but organizational resources, so much so that organizational powers, even if very weak by Western standards, can be powerful enough in China, sucking away power, wealth and knowledge from a diffuse society in a steady stream. Thank you for listening. This is a podcast series produced by Luminous Society. Luminous Society provides you with an alternative historical narrative. 